Welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio. Your host, Chris Honholtz and Richard Story, joining you on now December 3rd, 2022. You know, Rich, in a few weeks, we're going to have to stay, stay in 2023, and I'm going to mess it up for about three months before we get it right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so welcome to the end of the year of 2022. Uh, appreciate you being with us, as you are each and every week. You guys are so... Uh, so generous with your time to uh, to uh, tune in, listen, and share. Thank you once again. Want to remind you that Voice of Reason Radio is part of the Christian podcast community. As we say all the time, we encourage you to check out that community. Check out the various programs on there. Check out the uh, the uh, podcasts. Uh, you will always always find something wonderful there. Would also encourage you to sign up as uh, a follower of our website, slave to the if you do that, you're going to get updated information as podcasts come out, as articles drop, anything we share on there, you'll be able to get access to. That's all you can, all, how you can also contact us. In fact, uh, one of our followers on Twitter who tw- who wanted to message me via uh, Twitter, but I lock out my Twitter because there's some crazy people on Twitter. Uh, very. In fact, I don't think I shared this with you, brother. Let me find it again. Uh, you shared. This week's episode, and I'm going to have to share this with you, um, you shared just the other day that we were going to be talking about tonight's topic, and now my my Twitter wants to act up, and as, <laughs> as it did, um, we had, well, let's just say that people who profess Christ, yet probably not necessarily followers of Christ... Who took issue with what you uh, what you posted, um, basically saying that uh, we were t- going to be talking about the topic of Sodom and Gomorrah tonight, and one of the followers, yeah, they, well, I don't think the person's a follower. Uh, by the way, when you put your when you put your pronouns in your name on Twitter, we can pretty much guess what bent you're coming from. Uh, but an individual by the name of Julian Bond decided to make a note that you're still banging on about Sodom and Gomorrah. Hmm, I wonder if there was a double entendre there. Uh, but yeah, you, we are, Julian, and I, I want you to tune in tonight because uh, I hope you learned something about the Word of God because it's uh, desperately needed from folks like yourself. But that uh, that's why thats why my, my uh, DMs on Twitter are not open. I don't want crazy people. So she, But she actually messaged us <laughs> and, and was actually communicating with me about uh, a topic uh, I think it had to do with David French or one of the things that I had share, shared on there. And by the way, if you follow me on Twitter, look, I'm sorry I have 15-point tweets. Um, I don't know how to be pithy. It it just, it's not possible. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but some of you do seem to appreciate them. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's how you can communicate with us. You can actually go like she did to our... Uh, website at slavetotheking.com and you can email us directly from the page any questions, comments, concerns uh, even if you disagree we'll, we'll love to hear from you uh, but you know, ixnay on the uh, double entendres please so we encourage you to do that uh, it's, you can also support the program through there you can also go to uh, Doctrine and Life and pick up a t-shirt or a sticker for Voice of Reason Radio a way to help uh, promote the show and help get people to know that we're out there. We'd love to have you take part of that. Um, so I try to get that stuff out of the way because I know if I don't do it, I'm always going to forget it. Uh, but thank you folks for checking those sites out and in getting good sound information. By the way, another one I would love you guys to go check out, not part of the Christian podcast community, um, but 
if you go and find, oh, let me see if I can find him again. I think it's your Calvinist on Twitter. Uh, let me find it. Yep, you, Keith Foskey. He is uh, uh, known as your Calvinist. Y O U R Calvinist on on Twitter. He has got some great videos that he puts out, like one minute videos. There you can find them on Twitter. You can find them on YouTube. You can find them, I guess, even on TikTok, and they are fantastic short little snippets and they address some like objections to calvinism uh the one he just pinned the other day on there uh it's when someone says my god doesn't judge great little video and a fantastic gospel presentation but he's also got a conversation with a calvinist podcast i was just listening to some of it the other day and he was discussing the uh wherever two or more are gathered passage and he and his uh his co-host did a great job so Someone who's not necessarily... I don't think he's part of the Christian podcast community. I don't believe that uh, he's in there. But I, I would encourage you, go follow Keith Foskey. You guys are going to find some great content. Uh, when, we've, when we find stuff, we try to share it. And uh, Keith is one of those guys, boy, I, you know, we should probably get him on the program sometime because just really sharp and really great at, at producing content that in this generation... And this is why I can't do this... I, this generation thinks in bullet points. Rich, you and I talk about this, you know, a long time ago. Uh, the uh, the episode on bumper sticker theology, right? You know, just that short bullet point thinking. Keith is able to take great concepts and and reduce them to bite sized chunks that people will grasp and understand. And I think he did a great job. And I, I really want you guys to check him out. So Keith Foskey, F-O-S-K-E-Y. His podcast is Conversations with a Calvinist, which, by the way, you can find the video version of on YouTube. Uh, so YouTube, podcasts, uh, Twitter, TikTok, he's on all of them. Uh, Keith, you didn't ask me to, but we're sharing your name anyway. So anyway, wanted to get that out there. Man, he just does a great job. Looking forward to seeing more stuff from him. So with that in mind... Let's get started with tonight. Rich, how you doing, brother? Oh, brother, is always better than I deserve. A uh, quick question. Mm -hmm. that the user that sent that comment yes. to the website, is this someone that listens to our show regularly or just someone that was just saw that post and was replying back? I think she, well, I think she was, I, I don't know if she has listened to the program. Um, I'll tell you what, let's do this. I'm going to give her a quick shout out here let me find the email from her um i was just curious here it is um, uh, Alyssa. So why, why you're looking Alyssa, uh, Alyssa b if you listen to the show give us a sh you know shoot me a message on here again let us know if you listen i know you follow me on twitter uh and i think because our website is on my twitter account i think that's how she got to us but you know, Alyssa, i don't remember if you are a listener or not but that was but again that's how you can get you can reach out you can go that way but anyway go ahead well we we posted i think our last new episode was about a week and a half ago it was on a tuesday yes but even at the end of that episode we had already planned on discussing sodom yes. and gomorrah on the next new recording but a lot of odd things happened in the last week and a half um for one thing sodom and gomorrah has actually been trending yes. on twitter for the last two or three days yeah um and we're not recording this because it was trending it just happened coincide fact and like yeah coincided but we had originally planned on discussing tonight's topic and it kind of goes along with the last couple of episodes 
in regards to marriage and how God defines marriage and sexual immorality. But also, since we had planned this out of nowhere, a lot of different tweets and postings started showing up from different individuals and some people that we know have been replying and engaging. Um, I think it was just yesterday, okay, it was just yesterday, uh, and a user, and I'm going to do something I don't normally do, but I'm going to state this user's name and account, an April A. Joy, and her user account is at April A-J-O-Y-R. And I don't know if she just posted this or somebody, or she was responding to someone else, but she put out, here's an exhaustive thread of all the times Jesus condemned the LGBTQ community. And it's basically blank. And then later she replied to herself and said, he never did stop being a bigot. Well, because of that, I did some more reading and studying for tonight's episode. This is one of the most common objections when it comes to people trying to defend homosexuality, they'll say, well, Jesus never condemned or spoke against homosexuality. He never spoke against the LGBT community. Well, I put this out the other day, claiming that Jesus, claiming that since Jesus did not mention homosexuality is a sin is like saying Jesus never condemned racism since he never spoke about that. Well, both were, both terms were not created during the time of Christ, but biblical truths that goes to the foundation mm-hmm. that explain both of those things, he did speak about. When it comes to the issue of homosexuality, which is a form of sexual immorality, Jesus had a ton of things to speak about when it comes to sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. Christ took it even farther and said that to look with lust is committing adultery of yep. the heart. And Jesus spoke many times about sexual immorality and about adultery. The, the root foundation of racism is the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. So granted, those terms were not used by Christ or not in the Bible, but the root foundation of the sin that he spoke against is in the Bible. So if you're, if you are a supporter of same sex marriage or you're a supporter of homosexuality or claiming that someone can be a gay Christian and you're using that argument that, well, since Christ never spoke against it, it's okay first thing is you need to realize that there's a lot of things in society and a lot of terms and words today that people know is a sin and know that it's wrong, but were not mentioned in the Bible because it was not a term created at that time. It's like saying, well, since Christ never condemned driving while drunk, that's not a sin. Well, guess what? There was no cars in the time of Christ. They had chariots and carts and donkeys and and horses and things along those lines. But just because your modern definition and your modern word is not mentioned in the Bible does not negate negate the fact that the the root sin of that is in the Bible. And that is one of the most common things that I have seen and have seen for the last several years 
when it comes to people trying to defend the stance of homosexuality. Well, Christ never mentioned homosexuality. He never condemned the LGBT community. Well, he didn't because those words had not been created yet, but the root sin behind both of them had been created. And also, this same user actually went a little bit farther and helped with tonight's episode she did. because she addressed one of the other objections that comes from the pro-homosexual, pro-gay crowd, and that's found in Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 16. And one of the worst scripture twistings that is done when it comes to denouncing the sin of homosexuality or, or claiming that it wasn't a sin or claiming that Sodom and Gomorrah were not destroyed because of homosexuality. And, and this user puts it right here. Ezekiel 16.49 would like a word. I'm reading her tweet. Ezekiel 16.49 would like a word. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. Nice try, though. Looks like you still can be a bigot, even with Scripture you misconstrue. Well, first thing, Miss A. Joy, you are the one misconstruing Scripture, Mm -hmm. because to start with, you're reading a verse out of context, and you're throwing verse 50 completely out the window, because verse 50 states that, about the abominations. Um, before I get myself too out of track, I want to just read a portion from Ezekiel 16, beginning in verse 44. Behold, everyone who uses Proverbs will use this proverb about you. Like mother, like daughter. You are the daughter of your mother who loathe her husband and her children, and you are the sister of your sisters who loathe their husbands and their children. Your mother was a Hittite and your father an Amorite, and your elder sister is Samaria, who lived with her daughters to the north of you. And your younger sister, who lived to the south of you, is Sodom with her daughters. Not only did you walk in their ways and do according to their abominations, within a very little time you were more corrupt than they in all your ways. As I live, declares the Lord God, your sister Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. Um, first thing is, like I was stating, they claim that, according to verse 49, Sodom, well, they claim Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because of lack of hospitality. And they, like I said, they leave out verse 50, but they're not reading the entire comparative Mm -hmm. nature of the context of the chapter because it's not saying that Sodom, and by the way, um, I'd like to point out that only Sodom is mentioned in this verse. Gomorrah is never mentioned. And for those who try to twist Scripture yet again, Sodom and Gomorrah were two separate cities. It was not the same city like some tried to claim. 
since Gomorrah is not mentioned in that verse. And I have actually read that objection that Sodom and Gomorrah were actually just one city. So when that passage is, is talking about Sodom, it's actually talking about both of them. Well, once again, you have just proven the fact that you actually do not read the Bible. But going further, um, like I said, Gomorrah isn't even mentioned in that verse. So how can they explain away Gomorrah's destruction? Well, that's one way they do it. They lump them together and say it was just one city and wasn't two. But, you know, biblically, they can't explain it away because we both know why they both were destroyed. Mm -hmm. But like with all of Scripture, you know, we must read what Scripture teaches about itself, and we need to read and understand what happened in Sodom. When it comes to, I don't care whether it's the issue of homosexuality, the charismatic gifts, salvation, whatever, all these people have one thing in common. All heretics have one thing in common. They'll take one verse of Scripture out of context and build around it. There are, are literally entire denominations built around one verse taking out of context in Scripture. You cannot do that. I know that when these verse breaks were added to the Bible, it was because it was easier to transcribe one copy over to another copy when they were writing it out by hand. I honestly believe in today's age that as far as professing Christians go, they would be better off getting rid of those verse breaks and going back and reading a reader's Bible that has that have the chapters and the books written out as they originally appeared without the verse numbers and verse breaks. I know several years ago I started using a reader's Bible, and I'll have to tell you, a lot of things and a lot of meanings just really jumped and came alive to me without the verse number breaks and, and the distraction of the different numbers. I get distracted easy, <laughs> as if our listeners doesn't know that, but I just noticed, especially when it came to the epistles, reading it as a complete letter makes a huge difference. It's like reading a letter from a family member in context and the whole thing versus just trying to read and understand one sentence from a five-page letter from a family member. It makes that much of a difference. And, you know, we discussed the red-letter Christians mm -hmm. in a previous episode. Well, this kind of has the same application. I would encourage everyone that's listening to this to get you a copy of a reader's Bible and read it without the verse numbers added to it. I think you will be greatly edified by doing that. Um, side note, not all Bibles are equal. So if someone tells you they read, your, they read their Bible every day, we're at a point in time to where you need to start asking what version they're reading. And a lot of these people that are making these objections, like about, well, Sodom and Gomorrah were not destroyed because of homosexuality or sexual immorality, you have to stop and understand the version that they're reading may actually be telling them that. So, like with everything else today, we can't take anything for granted just because we're reading a known, solid biblical translation doesn't mean the person that we're discussing these issues with is reading a solid Bible translation. But before we go any further, brother, and we dig a little deeper into Sodom and Gomorrah, would you read 
the Genesis account as to what actually occurred in Sodom and Gomorrah leading up to its destruction. Yeah, absolutely. To have... see if we can kind of kind of gather a little bit more about their claim that the objections, like I said, was Sodom and Gomorrah were one city that one was the fact that Sodom was destroyed because it was not being hospitable to strangers. And another claim was it was destroyed because rape was rampant within the city. So if you would read to us the Genesis account and let's kind of go from there. Yeah, absolutely. And just I want to note a couple of passages before we read uh, out of Genesis 19. Genesis 13, 12 and 13 tell us this. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. So Sodom, we first get note of that when you have the parting of Abraham and Lot. And it says that in verse 13, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So the first mention of Sodom in Scripture is this is a very wicked city. You know, and it's the cities of the valley, to reinforce your point. There was more than one city. Now, going forward to Genesis 18, before we get to the uh, destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, we have when the Lord came down with the two angels and meets with Abraham as they are preparing to go forward to destroy the city. In verse 17 of chapter 18, it says, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to, uh, to Abraham what he has promised him. So the first thing is that God is, is saying, I, I'm not going to go forward and do this without revealing to you what's about to happen. He says, I have chosen you. You're from you. The nations will be blessed. You, you know, you, uh, you will be you know, teaching people to do righteousness and justice and, and you're going to be doing, and so that I may fulfill all that I've promised you. So there's a, you know, he's looking at Abraham. He's looking at the blessings that uh, he will do through Abraham's line and how all the nations will be blessed. And then he says in verse 20, then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. So, it's not that God had to go really examine for himself. He's seen it, but he's going forward to, you know, to basically uh, validate that this, the outcry of the sins of these of these two cities is as wicked and as evil as he already knows it is. So let's make sure we understand something before we go into this. It is known in verses or excuse me, chapters 13 and 18 that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are exceedingly wicked. Okay, so to, to your point earlier about Ezekiel, Rich, they try to reduce it down to, well, it's pride it's corruption. It's it's uh, it's not aiding the the uh, the poor and the needy. If that was the case, there 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 is the way this is describing this, the the wickedness. I don't believe we can just simply draw that. Well, they didn't feed the the uh, the poor and the needy. There's something unique about the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah 
that the scriptures, before we ever get to the destruction, that the Lord is revealing to the reader, these cities were bad. Their sins were horrifyingly evil. So you, you have to understand that before we even get in there. God had, you know, when we look at what Jesus would say later about Sodom and Gomorrah, when he, when he talks about, you know, if Sodom and Gomorrah had seen what you see today, they would have long ago repented in, in dust and ashes, but it will be worse for you on the day of judgment. In other words, is we, Sodom and Gomorrah is kind of like, it's like today we say, you want to talk about evil, you talk about Adolf Hitler. If, you're, if somebody compares you to Hitler, they're saying you're the worst form of human life. Sodom and Gomorrah in scripture is a benchmark for evil. Because there is, if you just simp simply type into a search engine for your, your Bible program and Sodom, you will see repeated comparisons. And we'll go over a couple tonight. Rich, you just talked about one in Ezekiel. Sodom is a benchmark for evil. This is more than just not feeding the poor. Okay? So just keep that in mind. So we go to chapter 19. The two angels come to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate uh, of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, bowed himself with his face to the earth, and said, My lords, please, please turn aside to your servant's house, spend the night, and wash your feet. Then you may go or rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. Make a note of this next verse in verse 3. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Lot is already aware that if he just left them in, and which it's not uncommon, it's city square. In fact, Rich, you, you found one of our articles, a good friend of ours, um, Lyndon Unger, uh, a.k.a. Mennonite on Twitter, wrote back in 2009, and we'll share the link for this, makes a note that, you know, about, you know, that, that there, there was something about staying in the town square, which would be dangerous. And another article you sent me out of Answers in Genesis, you know, refers to the fact that, you know, this is, it wasn't uncommon that if you didn't have somewhere to stay, you would stay in the town square. Lot is like, no, you're not going to stay there. Lot knows something. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. At this point, you need to ask, why was Lot so concerned about them staying in the town square, which would have been a very, very common practice yes. among the cities of that time and that <laughs> age? that a so, so, sojourner, that basically a visitor to a city who was not a member of that city or a citizen of that city, a traveler who was passing through. Like you said, if they did not have somewhere to stay, they would set up their little camp around the town square. So this was a very, very common mm -hmm. practice. It would be something that Lot had witnessed numerous times of people coming in and out of the city, and they would come in, and they would make their little camp around the town square. So the first question is, why was Lot so concerned about these two men setting up their camp to spend the night at the town square? Okay, yeah. go ahead, brother. And I think the following verses make that abundantly clear. Verse 4, But the, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of, men of Sodom, both young and old, 
please note this, young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Now, in scripture, this is referring to sexual act, okay? You know, Adam knew his wife and bore Cain, okay? It is a the it's a biblical way of saying sexual intimacy, a sexual act. They are the entire male populace has come for two men that they may have sexual act with them, okay? That we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance and shut the door after him and said, I beg of you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Again, this is, you know, Lot is recognizing what they've come to do. They have come to, you know, to forcefully sleep with these two men. Okay. Behold, now, I, I love Mennonite, uh, Lyndon Unger's statement on this. Remember that scripture has descriptive and prescriptive passages. Descriptive is describing what happened. It does not necessarily mean that you are supposed to do this. And many times it is a description of what somebody did sinfully. Prescriptive is that which God commands. What Lot does here is not prescriptive. Okay, remember this. Okay, Be, uh, behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let them bring. Let okay. Me, huh? I was going to say. Let me stop you right there. Yeah. The context. The word "no" appears numerous, if not hundreds, of times in the Bible, whether it's in ancient <laughs> Hebrew or the Arab. Aramaic or the Greek, the word no will appear. It has different meanings depending on the context. In these two mentions right here in these few passages, the word no both times refers in the ancient Hebrew, the word is yada. The word yada appears both of these times in these contexts, and yada means sex. It means intercourse. Both of these references to the word no is referring to sexual relations. I want to make that abundantly clear because I've seen quite a number of people try to claim that, well, when they were asking for those men to come out so they would know them, that that really means that they just wanted to greet them and welcome them to the city. It doesn't mean about, it doesn't mean in the terms of, of relations with them. First, I will like to I would like to add that it is abundantly clear that and, and and as you pointed out brother it wasn't just a few it was every man in the city now we don't have an accurate number of the population we don't know exactly how many men of the city it was referring to but even if it was only a few hundred men you're still talking every man young and old in that city surrounding Lot's house, beating and banging and demanding mm -hmm. that these two visitors be sent out so that they could know them. The objection about, well, Sodom was destroyed because of rape. It was destroyed because they were not being hospitable. I'd have to say that wanting to rape men, wanting to rape two other men, is, in fact, a very inhospitable greeting. That in itself states a lot. I don't care how people twist and mangle the meanings in this. 
The word no in the context of these passages both mean sexual relations. The men of the city were demanding that these two strangers be sent out so they could rape them, which is homosexual behavior, which is men with men, which is an unnatural act. So I want to make that abundantly clear that the word no in the context in both of those passages literally means yada, which means sexual relations. Go ahead, brother. Yeah, and absolutely. And, and again, just for those who might say, well, I don't, you know, it could mean that they, I mean, you know, yada could mean that, you know, you, you know, like intellectually know. If you wanted to simply greet and know who somebody was, would Lot then have said, do not do this, you know, do not act so wickedly? The answer is no. Lot and then in turn offers his two daughters. Why? They were living there. They were already known in a intellectual sense, in a familiar like we've seen you sense. So to simply structure that to say, well, it could mean simply knowledge to, to find out who these guys were, you're, you're, you're doing a, a great disservice to the text when you refuse to acknowledge what it's actually saying. So let's, let's dispense with the naivete. We know what they're talking about here. They're, this no is a sexual knowing. Okay, so let's just, let's be honest about that. Let's not play games with the words so that we can try and, you know, work our way around it. Now, getting back to this, he says uh, in, in verse 8, Behold, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Again, this is not, you know, they weren't uh, simply trying to greet these men. They wanted to have a biblical form of knowledge. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Now, I want to stop there. When Ezekiel refers to the fact that they were not, you know, that the men of Sod the people of Sodom were not hospitable, that they, um, they were haughty, they were prosperous. They did not aid the poor and needy. That there was a lack of hospitality. What is Lot doing at this moment? He has been hospitable. He has brought them under his roof. He has cared for them. He has provided for them. What are the men trying to do? Take them out and know them sexually. So stop and think about what's being said here. Lot has done hospitality. He is providing for those in need. And yet they are saying, no, bring them out. So I was just going to something. Okay. Just, just say, think about when it says that, you know, they make that argument. Well, it's a lack of hospitality. Hospitality was being shown. They were trying to pull them away from it. Go ahead, brother. That's, that's exactly what I was wanting to make sure that we pointed out that the claim that the, the city was not being hospitable to strangers, even if say, give them the benefit of the doubt. Okay. <coughs> your, in, your interpretation of 49 is correct. And you want to say that Sodom was destroyed because they were not caring for the poor and needy and not being hospitable to strangers and visitors. Well, that right there denounces your claim altogether without all the other references because based on your definition of wanting the men wanting them to come out so they would know them that in itself would denounce your erroneous claim of 
Sodom being destroyed because it was not being hospitable. If in the context of that, they're wanting them to come out just so they could greet them and get to know them and say hello and provide food and shelter, that crushes your argument mm-hmm. already. Exactly. Because, you know, if, if that is not an example, according to your definitions, if that's not an example of hospitality, then Sodom would not have been destroyed for, for not providing hospital, hospitable yeah, to strangers. So, I mean, you can't have it both ways. It's like trying to say the sky is green, even though we know it's blue. I mean, it, it's up is down, down is up. There's there, the, the, you, you can't have one truth mm-hmm. and another truth, and they both be, you know, contradictory to one another. And that's what people are trying to do when it comes to the context of this. They're trying to say, well, in this verse, they were not being hospitable. Well, in this verse, they're doing this. Well, in this verse, they're doing that. And all of these different things cannot contradict themselves. There's, there are no contradictions in the Bible. There are only misconceptions about what a verse actually means according to God. Mm-hmm. And that's why we said earlier, you have to see what Scripture has to say about other verses in Scripture to truly understand the context and meaning of what is being said. And sadly, just like we mentioned earlier, when you rip a verse out of context, you can make it mean whatever you want it to mean as long as you're not applying the Word of God to it. But once you start applying the Word of God to it and examining that subject, or in this case, examining that city in light of the rest of Scripture, you have to surrender to the will of God and His definition and His meaning, or else all you're doing is standing there calling the character of God a liar. Go ahead, brother. So, Moving now to verse 9. Remember, he has said, Don't do this wickedness. I'll even give you my daughters. Do what you want sexually with them. But these men are under my roof. I'm providing hospitality for them. I'm caring for them. Please don't do this. Moving to verse 9. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge? You know. So in other words, You shut up. Get out of the way. How dare you? You're not even from here. And you're going to judge us? So they further say, Now we will deal with you worse than, deal worse with you than with them. What are they, who's the them? The angels. What do they want to do, the angels? Know them in a sexual way. What are they threatening Lot with? We will do worse to you. Now we're talking about a form of rape that, uh, that they are actually threatening to harm. So they already want to forcefully know the angel sexually. They are threatening to do worse to, to, to Lot. Okay? This is, this is more than just failing to provide for the needs of others. This is un, uh, uncontrolled sexual urges. This is full-on given over to lust to the point of threatening rape against the man who lives in your city because you won't he is trying to actually stop you from doing this wickedness. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men, these are the angels, reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they 
listen to this. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great. So they wore themselves out groping for the door. And we'll stop the passage there because from there it goes into the destruction of the city. This is such uncontrolled lust that they, if we're, you know, there are those, Rich, you touched on it a little while ago, that they're trying to say, and, and Miss, Miss April Ajoy points to this as well, and, and her response to Dr. White, who corrected her thinking, tried to, she was very adamant to believe otherwise, but she talks about this, when they, when, when Lot, you know, tells them not to, to do this, to not, not, uh, or what, excuse me, when we're talking about Ezekiel and they're talking about verse 50, which says, you know, that they were, uh, they were haughty and did an abomination, abomination before me. Dr. White rightly points out in that conversation with Miss Ajoy, that's the same Toava that it, uh, is connected to homosexuality in Leviticus. She wants to say, oh no, that has to do with rape and power dynamics, not consensual same-sex relations. That's her quote. Mind you, if this was about rape and power dynamics, these men struck blind. What, what, what power do they have over them now? How can they have power? They've been struck blind. The most powerful beings in the city have struck them blind instantaneously. What is the overriding drive at this moment? Is it simply to prove your we are the stronger people and we're going to rape you to prove you're the lower form of life? No. They are being driven by sexual urge. Uncontrolled sexual urges. So much so that they are trying to still get in the door even though they can't see the door to get in. Even though they can't see the men to know them. This isn't simply an act of power dynamics. This okay, is brother, uncontrolled wanna... sexual lust. Go ahead. I'd like I'd like to add right here that you're dead on on, on your analysis about the power dynamics and that um, they are driven driven by lust and something else that really needs to stand out. If they were on, only wanting to rape, wanting to subdue, wanting to dominate. They did not want to rape the girls. Yep. All they wanted was to rape these men. They had absolutely no interest in raping or knowing the two daughters. The only ones they were interested in were the men. And even to the point to where they, they threatened Lot to treat him even worse than they had planned on treating these two visitors. That is an important thing to remember that for those that say, well, Sodom was destroyed because of rape gangs. Well, in this context of this, who is it then that they're wanting to rape? You have men wanting to rape other men that, you know, they define rape as non-consensual sex. Well, if sex and domination was all they were wanting and driving for. Why were they not interested in the daughters or Lot's wife who would have been in the home with him and the daughters? So you have three women in the home. They had absolutely no interest whatsoever in any of the women. They, 
you had all the men of the city only interested in the men of the house. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, again, when you back up and you look at Ezekiel, where they want to say, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. The next verse adds further context. They were haughty and did an abomination before me. When you go back to Genesis 19, and you see this is violent, uncontrolled sexual lust. I mean, again, if you're simply just wanting to dominate, and this, and they strike you blind... At that point, I'm thinking, oh, okay, you're the more powerful one. I'm out of here. But they continue to grope for the door. They're still trying to find their way in. There is something far more at, at uh, far more powerful driving this than simply trying to prove your manhood. So I want to take us through a couple other passages, brother, just to kind of so when we go through this, we go back to Genesis 19, 24 through 25. Remember, we we learned in uh, chapter 13 and chapter 18 that these are wicked cities. We see in chapter 19 just how wicked. So what is the result? Verses 24 and 25 of 19. Then the Lord rained, Sodom, rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from out of the heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. Everything is wiped out. Nothing is left. This is how evil the acts were. Were there cities throughout the history of Scripture that lacked hospitality, that oppressed, that failed to provide? Yes. Were they destroyed to the very ground, except for Tyre and Sidon, we don't hear of God doing this type of thing. And Tyre and Sidon, were, if I remember correctly, were destroyed in warfare. This was a supernatural destruction. Even the walls of Jericho, which were knocked from the inside out by the power of God, was not wiped off the face of the map. Sodom is a benchmark for the evil of man and is a benchmark for God's judgment. Okay, let's understand that. So let's go a little bit forward to Isaiah chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. For the, for the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sins like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Tell the righteous that it shall be with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with them, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. My people, infants are their oppressors, and women rule over them. My people, your guides mislead you, and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. Isaiah is speaking to Israel. He's, he's speaking to the people of God. He's speaking of judgment upon them, and what has he, uh, you know, does he compare them to? The sin of Sodom. What do we know about Israel at the time that Isaiah and the other prophets were speaking? They had been so consumed with idolatry, sexual immorality, and every other sin that they were being cast out of the land. They are being compared to Sodom. 
Is it merely being prosperous and failing to aid the poor and needy? No, this is a greater level of sin. Jeremiah 23, 14 through 15. But in the and by the way, this is we're reading from the ESV when uh, I think it's was the NIV that Miss Ajoy quoted, just so you know. Um Ezekiel, excuse me, Jeremiah 23, 14 through 15. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, okay, so this is the, the, the false prophets within Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hand of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like what? Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. The wickedness of the prophets, the professing prophets, the, the prophets, the people who are supposed to speak for God to the people of Jerusalem, commit adultery, sexual immorality. They walk in lies. They strengthen the hand of evildoers. They encourage people in their sins. They don't turn from their sins. Therefore, says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink for the prophets of uh, Jerusalem for from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into all the land. So, Rich, we have two prophets, you know, that, that are speaking to the people of Israel, speaking a comparison to the people of Israel that they are like Sodom. And then we get to the infamous verses in Ezekiel, chapter 16, verses 46 to 50. And your elder sister is Samaria. So he is com comparing his people the Jews, to Samaria, who lived with her daughters to the north of you, and your younger sister, who lives to the south of you, is Sodom with her daughters. So he is, God is comparing, Ezekiel, uh, be speaking through Ezekiel, God is comparing the people, his people, to two wicked nations, two wicked cities. Not only do you walk in their ways and do according to their what? Abominations. Within a very little time, you were more corrupt than they in all your ways. As I live, declares the Lord God, your system Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. So wait a minute. We just talked about how wicked Sodom is. Wicked to the point that they we got a preface before they were destroyed. Wicked to the point that they are the comparison, the benchmark point of this is why God brings ju judgment. What is he telling them? You guys are worse. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride. Now, what is the root of all sin? Pride. Excess of food and prosperous ease. They were proud. They had, they had everything they needed. But they did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me. There is a list of sins here. A list. Pride. Ex, you know, excess, life of ease, no willingness to aid others, haughty, and committed an abomination. To reduce it down to simply lack of hospitality and not aiding the poor and needy is to utterly disregard everything we have seen them, seen what God has said of them up to this point. This is cherry picking at its worst, and the last verse of part of the verse is, so I removed them when I saw it. Rich, um, before we go any further, can we be any clearer? <laughs> well, actually, yes, we can. Look at 
Jude 1, verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Like I said, you have to compare Scripture to Scripture. Jude lays it out just as in plain, unfiltered speech as it possibly could be. Jude is defining what the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah happened to be. It plainly states they indulged in sexual mm-hmm. immorality. That's the those two words are key to understanding all of these other discussions when it comes to adultery and lust. All of it comes under the umbrella of sexual immorality. In order to claim that homosexuality is not a sin, you have to claim that there is no such thing as sexual immorality. The Bible, in almost every book, if not all of them, mentions sexual immorality as being not only an abomination in the eyes of God, but it is clearly defined as a sin. And you cannot claim that homosexuality is not sexual immorality. If an unmarried man and an unmarried woman had relations together, and that is considered a sin in the eyes of God, so is sexual relations between a man and a man and a woman and a woman. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot say, okay, two straight people having relations outside of marriage is a sin, but it's not a sin if two men do it. It doesn't work that way. People want to cake and eat it too because they love their sin more than they love God. People twist and and warp scripture. And like I posted and asked earlier, you never see any professing Christian trying to claim that it's okay for a man and a woman to have sex outside of marriage. You never see that a claim that, well, that's not a sin. You never see that, but you see countless ones trying to claim that homosexuality is not a sin. But it all comes down to how does God define sexual immorality? And, and that's the problem. They don't want to know how God defines it because then that rubs against the sins that they love. But if, if you're trying to claim that sexual immorality is not a sin, regardless of what type, you have to throw out about half the Bible. And you have to basically, and this is what they're doing. They're saying, well, my opinion means more than the Word of God. My opinion means more than how God has defined these terms in the Bible. My opinion is right, and 2,000 years of Christians, theologians, and pastors are wrong. You read any commentary written prior to 1900, even commentaries written by heretics, even ones written by Roman Catholics or, or whatever other denomination or however how you want to lump it together. They all agreed that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because of sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. They all agreed for 2,000 years, the heretics and the biblical Christians both agreed 
that sexual immorality is a sin against God and in the eyes of God. So who's right? You and your modern day opinion or 2000 years of millions upon millions of professing Christians, millions of pastors, countless denominations, countless sermons on these verses. So Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to believe you just because you grew up in the 2000s era and this is what's being taught. This is what culture is telling you. This is what they're saying is right. I'm supposed to believe you over 2,000 years worth of Christians and over the Word of God itself. How much more of an example of pride could there be than to say, I'm right and God is wrong? Amen. Amen. And just for a little bit more clarification on that passage in Jude, if you look at the NASB, it refers to that portion of unnatural desire as pursuing strange flesh. So you have sexual immorality on one hand, and that's you know heterosexual sin of sex, a sinful sex, and then a pursuit of unnatural desire as in the ESV or strange flesh as in the NASB. What is the strange? How do you how do you know that's that's what it's referring to? Well, let's go back to what is in Romans one, and this is simple enough, right? What, what does Romans one tell us about the sin, sexual sins that we see a depraved people giving being given over to? Go to verse twenty six. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, and this is ESV. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were concerned with passion one for another, men uh, committing shameless acts with men and receiving in the in themselves the due penalty for their error. And we can go to the NASB and do and, and look the same look at the same passage. Uh, for this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged a natural function for that which is unnatural. All right. And in the same way, men abandoned the natural function of women and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their persons the due penalty of their error. Jude is making it clear that it was that wicked, that it was not just sexual immorality, but it was also pursuing unnatural desire or pursuing strange flesh, which then serves by as an example by undergoing what? a punishment of eternal fire. And Jude uses that as a comparison to the false teachers of the day who do what? Rely uh, rely on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Rich, did you, I'm sorry, I think I interrupted you. Did you want to say something? Well, I just wanted to add, and I've seen this objection with what you just said. Some people say, well, these are modern versions and and they're rewriting and rewording the word of god that 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 terminology was not in the original scriptures um i want to point you to first corinthians chapter six verse nine and i'm reading this from the king james version which you know according to a lot of people is the only inspired (laughs) word of god that's another show just 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 for the benefit of the doubt, if, if you don't like these modern translations, 
Let's see what the King James Version has to say on 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Now, the, the argument I've seen with what you were saying about Jude and when it comes to strange flesh, I've seen arguments that, that the Bible was condemning bestiality. It was not talking about homosexual behaviors. In this verse, it says, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor effeminate. In the King James Version, granted the word homosexual had not been created yet, but they would use the term effeminate when it talked about homosexual behavior. That was considered effeminate behavior because it would be a man willing to submit to another man as a wife would submit to her husband when it comes to the confines of the matrimonial bed. And then the portion about nor abusers of themselves with mankind, that clarifies the strange flesh. It's yeah. not talking about bestiality is talking about mankind is talking about women with women and men with men yeah. um i'll let you go ahead brother i just kind of wanted to add that real quick while yeah. you were at that point yeah no problem and I, and I know we're getting a little short on time here so i just want to finish with one other passage in second peter 2 uh, verses 6 through 10 peter is writing and and talking about how the lord knows how to deliver the godly from trials and he points again to the benchmark of sin, Sodom and Gomorrah. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Again, you want a, you want a picture of God's judgment upon wickedness? You look at Sodom and Gomorrah. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by what? Not by a lack of hospitality, not by failing to aid the poor and the needy, but for what? By the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was, tor he was tormenting his righteous soul over their law lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Go back to Genesis 19. What was, what was it that Lot was concerned over? These men were attempting to forcefully know the two angels under his roof. He was tormented by what? What was he distressed by? The sensual conduct of the wicked. So to put a really big bow on this, yes, Ezekiel absolutely does describe some of the sin of Sodom. She was prideful. She did have excess of food and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. How do we see that playing out? By the fact that they were ready to destroy the home of a man who was preventing them from beating the door down and forcefully having sexual intercourse with what they believe were two men. To put it as Rich said, yeah, I think that's inhospitable. Okay? You cannot have a greater example of their unwillingness to show hospitality and to care for those in need by trying to forcefully 
engage in homosexual intercourse with two men. An entire city of men trying to beat down the door. This is scripture. This isn't at us going, we want to condemn people. This is what scripture repeatedly says. And I didn't give you all the passages that refer to Sodom. I'm giving you the ones that have the most context with regard to Sodom. But there are numerous passages that again and again point to the fact that Sodom was so so terribly sinful that God destroyed it. You have two great examples of God's judgment of sin on this earth. The first is the flood. The, The world is destroyed because of its sin. But what is the one thing that God routinely points back to about his wrath being poured out in sulfur and fire? Sodom and Gomorrah. Again and again and again. Hey, brother. Yes. I went back and looked. Jude 1, verse 7, in the King James Version. Also says strange flesh. Yeah, since so many people do not like, you know, the more modern translations. But it says, in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. In in that context, yeah, in that context, sexual immorality is broken down into two categories Mm -hmm. fornication and strange flesh, which means men and men, women and women. It is not talking about bestiality, like I said earlier. But even if that portion was not there, you still have the definitive term, whether you want to call it fornication or sexual immorality, they were guilty of having sexual relations outside the confines of one man and one woman in the bonds of holy matrimony. Marriage between one man and one woman is a gift from God because it would be impossible in man's natural state and his lust for sexual relations, it would have been impossible in man's natural state to even came up with the concept of a monogamous, lifelong relationship with one man and one woman, and any other relations beyond that would be sinful. Because man, in his natural state, man consumed with lust, as the men of the city of Sodom were. All they want to do is gratify their bodies, gratify themselves, to live without self-control. That's one reason we had, is it polygamy when you have several wives? Yes. That's the grounds for that. Um, And, you know, we, we don't know in the beginning, like with Adam and Eve, and, you know, there's different biblical accounts about someone having multiple wives, but... As time evolved throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, God declared one man, one woman, Jesus Christ himself declared, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. The two shall become one. Anything outside God's defined role of marriage, outside of God's decree of when and how relations are biblical, Christ himself declared and proclaimed. And it's always one man, one woman in the bonds of holy matrimony so that the marriage bed will be undefiled. 
anything beyond that, whatever label you want to put on it, it is still sexual immorality. It is fornicating. But as in Jude, it goes farther. It has two separate categories. You've got fornicating and you've got strange flesh. Both center and offshoot from sexual immorality, but it's still a definitive comparison between you've got fornicating and you've got strange flesh. Mm -hmm. Both are equally sinful in the eyes of God. If you're a man or a woman and you're having sex outside of marriage, you need to stop and repent because you're sinning against the holy God. If you're a man with a man or a woman with a woman, you need to stop and repent because you're committing a sin in the eyes of a holy God. If you're married to, if it's a man and a woman in, in marriage, and you're cheating on your spouse, you need to stop and repent because you're committing a sin against the holy God. If you're gratifying your flesh through pornography, you need to stop because you're sinning against mm -hmm. the holy God. All of it comes under the umbrella of sexual immorality. And I don't care how you twist scripture, how you throw it out and mangle it, all of it is sexual immorality, which is a sin in the eyes of God, is a sin against God, and you're trampling on the blood of Christ, especially for all those who proclaim to be a Christian, all those who profess to be a Christian, and you're practicing these things and encouraging others to do the same thing, you fall under Romans 1. But in, as we close this out, I just want to add this real quick. As Bible-believing Christians, as biblical Christians, we should not be surprised when these things come about and happen because it's predicted and laid out in Scripture that these times will come, that the coming of Christ, the days on this earth will be as they were in the times of Noah, where every man did what was right in his own eyes. We're seeing Scripture for fulfilled before our very eyes. The people who are twisting Scripture and claiming all these different things are themselves proving Scripture to be right once again. And as we go forward, we need to, as my brother Brad Matlock put it, we need to be mourning over our sin. We need to be mourning over the sin of others. We need to be mourning over the sin of this country. And, and for us, we cannot condone sin of any sort. We can't condemn someone to hell because only God can do that. But we can explain to people why this sin is condemned by God, and we mourn over the sin in this world. We mourn over the sin of the people around us by proclaiming the gospel, by proclaiming what God has actually said. And I pray that somewhere someone will come across this episode and the Lord will use it to open someone's heart and grant them understanding in these matters, brother. And I'll let you close out. Amen. Amen. Great stuff. Great stuff. Look, why are we harping on this? Why, why are we taking time to go through all these passages? Why are we worried um, that some progressivist or liberal Christians or people who hate the scriptures want to, to twist Ezekiel? 
we expect them to do that. Yeah, you're right. We do. Here's the problem. We've had decades upon decades of watered down church teaching on these issues. Many churches don't even take time, and, and, and I'm not going to say all, but there are many pro professing churches today who just don't even want to spend time in the Old Testament. They don't see any need for it. You've got your Andy Stanley types who say we need to unhitch from the Old Testament. It's it's kind of kind of sketchy, and there's some things we're not sure that are really historical, and we're not even sure that's what God said or, or commanded, so we're just not going to go there. Besides, the New Testament's what we really need to be concerned with, except that the New Testament itself repeatedly refers back to the sin of Sodom and refers back to the destruction of Sodom. So we have to know all of Scripture. We have to know Genesis through Revelation. If you're not taking the time to read the Old Testament, Christian, do it. Because just by, look, just to, to in preparation for the show, it was no effort to type into a search engine Sodom and do a search in the Bible and looking for the passages and look for the context for all of this. It, that's, it's a lot easier for us to do today with all the tools available than it was in the past. You know, you would have to spend a lot of time doing this. We, we have so many tools available to us. Now, I would encourage you to get out a paper Bible, you know, binding, a binded Bible, and do your work yourself. But I'm just saying there are ways that you can spend time studying what the Scriptures really say. But we've had so much watered-down teaching that many Christians today, or professing Christians, simply don't know how to respond when they're confronted with Ezekiel. Well, it says that they were prideful and, and they didn't help the poor and needy. It can't mean the other thing, then. Yes, it can. If you take the time to look at what God says about the city of Sodom and why he made it such an example of his judgment. They had many sins, a great many sins. They were wicked and they were abominable before the eyes of God. And he uses their sin over and over again to, as a benchmark for how wicked a nation can become. Even used it to the point of saying, hey Israel, or, or Jerusalem, you're worse at this stage. You're worse than them. That's, that's why it's so important. We are today, and, you know, and, and I wrote something about it. And I, we mentioned it in the last. Uh, uh, we mentioned it in the last program about it's God who defines, God who defines marriage, God who defines these things, and we need to know His Word. And our found worldview needs to be what His scriptures reveal to us okay so when you engage in these conversations and you will this isn't about winning a theological argument this isn't about owning the libs or proving the progressivist christian online wrong this is about when you enter these conversations and people want to dismiss what god's word says and cherry pick a verse out and try to convince you or others that it's really not what we thought it was. You need to be able to walk them through the scriptures. I've used this example before. When it comes to Vodi Bakum, his friend in college walked him through the scriptures. 
And I think, I don't know if you guys heard it, but I think Rich just got bumped, so that made some noises. So I apologize. Uh, Skype at least failed us at the end and not in the middle. So <laughs> that's good. So I'm just going to finish with this. As you think about what was talked about on the program today, you need to be able to sit down and look at the scriptures and understand why it says what it says. And you can need to do what Christ did when he was talking to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. What did he do? Starting with the law and the prophets, he expounded on everything that pointed to him. That's the Old Testament. He literally spent time going back to the, the scriptures that were available to them that day. Because remember, there was no New Testament at the time. And he taught them from there. What did Christ say? Have you not read? Have you not read? Have you not read? Every time he was refuting the false teachers of his, or, and, or the scribes and the Pharisees. Have you not read? Know your scriptures so that someone doesn't come to you and try to twist you around the axle, number one. But number two, you can then come back to them and say, oh, you want to enter a Bible study? Let's do that. Let me show you what the Bible says about Sodom. Let me show you what the Bible says about this particular sin. Let me show you about what God does for people in this sin. And by the way, let me show you Christ who can bring you forgiveness. This is not about winning an argument. This is not about proving your theological superiority. This is about being able to take someone to the foot of the cross because you know the word of God and you can show them what it really says. So we hope that is what all of this has done to serve you. Now, we've got some links we want you guys to check out. Rich mentioned the uh, uh, a sermon by, um, or, or mentioned Martin Lloyd-Jones. I think earlier in the episode, we have a sermon by him we're going to link up to. Answers in Genesis has a great article. A couple of the Got Questions articles are fantastic in here. And we're going to link our friend uh, Lyndon, Lyndon Unger's article back from 2009 and uh, says, I think, a lot of what we shared in the program, but I want you to read that. It's a great resource to refer back to. So we're going to put all those links in the show tonight. We're also going to put uh, the gospel presentation that we have on our website on there so that people who listen to this, if it brings that, if, if the Lord uses us to bring conviction, that you have somewhere to turn, you can turn to Christ. And, and I want you to click that link and I want you to read what Christ did that you might be saved. You need to understand the gospel. So, and folks, I would like to encourage you to consider sharing this program because as Rich said, and I saw it myself, Sodom and Gomorrah uh, was a trending topic in the last couple of days on Twitter. Now, I think that's probably because Elon Musk has freed up the algorithms a little bit and there's not quite as much throttling, although uh, the general amnesty he said was going to be granted. I haven't seen any evidence of that yet. Uh, he's too busy dumping the um, uh, Twitter data on the Hunter Biden suppression stuff, I guess. But um, that's actually a trending topic. This is an opportunity to put in front of people the totality of the of the scriptures. So we would consider asking you to just think about sharing it, putting it out there so that people will hear this and give thought to what the word of God actually says. So thank you for your time this week. We really appreciate all the time you give us. Thank you for sharing the program. Thank you for your comments. We are always so, always so grateful for all of it. 
We want to wish you guys a great week. Tomorrow is, of course, the Lord's Day, which will be the 4th of uh, 4th of December. And uh, go worship your king, as Todd Friel will so often say, and go be fed, go serve the body of Christ. And then as you go into your week, as Rich always says, find somebody that you can share the gospel with at least once a day. God bless you guys. Good night. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.